Episode 26 The Transport No one could survive this The Transport by Alex Ames You are listening to The Transport a sci-fi military action thriller audiobook podcast written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Kumiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, dear listeners, we are approaching the grande finale. This is the 26th and final episode of the audiobook podcast the transport if you made it this far i love you if you randomly tuned in stop now turn around and download episode one no spoilers and for a final time let's go into the story Chapter 120 Leo Eva! In horror, Leo witnessed the destruction of the Legion Analytics building and the concrete and metal storm blast. The spaceship must have used some sort of invisible weapon. There was no explosion or fire involved, just a sheer invisible force that hit the side of the building like a giant sledgehammer and everything behind it. The whole side collapsed with the incredible noise of stone and concrete breaking, destruction of walls and floors, a wave of groaning and shrieking dust and debris was everywhere. The invisible force had thrown Leo and Charles to the ground too. Then he saw the building coming apart and the dust cloud raced towards them. Within a second the reddish brick dust engulfed him. Leo stumbled over a curb on the parking lot, hurt his knees and bloodied his elbow, got up again, got hit by something, ran against the car rack, slid over the hood, belly first, continued to run, yet recognized less and less in the dust. This is my personal 9-11. Eva, God, Eva, she was on top of it. His lungs burned from the inhaled dust, his feet and legs hurt from the exertion, and suddenly he was clear of the cloud, steering clear of a shot-up car rack. His eyes teared up, and he rubbed away the layer of grime that had formed on his face with a shirt. He cleared the dust cloud and noticed movement in front of him. Charles hadn't taken to flight too. Sina stood a few yards to the side, walking slowly backwards, staring not at the building carnage, but into the sky. The giant black mass of the spaceship floated in the air. Leo felt his hairs on his arms and scalp rising. What an unbelievable sight! Holy shoot! Leo exclaimed. Shoot, shoot, shoot! Why aren't the bombs going off? He glanced at his watch. The latex finger trigger timer should already have activated a minute ago. What do you mean? Charles grabbed him by the shoulders. Eva's bombs are on board? No, yes, yes, Leo said, his thoughts on Eva somewhere in the rubble, and he forgot what else he told Charles. Charles immediately took a set phone to his ear and started talking to someone. Leo left him standing and approached the building, all fear forgotten. Eva, you're in there. Visibility was bad, not nil. The giant spaceship still hovered above. Leo did not care about his bombs anymore. He had done all that he could have done to prevent the slime balls from leaving. It was out of his hands now. Let fate do its work. Control your own destiny, Leo Parker. Finding Eva was his priority. Before he set out for his new quest, Leo felt a spike in air pressure and the giant spaceship 
took off like a Tesla car in ludicrous mode. Straight up, a black streak, a bullet, a black blob rising at incredible speed, getting smaller and smaller. Oh God, riddance. I hope you blind assholes crash into the moon. Chapter 121 Herbert Herbert pulled Linny by her hand as they made their way to the back of the building. The army had stopped shooting and no convert remained to fire back. He had a sinking feeling, a sort of desperation he had never sensed before. The last years he had fulfilled a purpose and he felt certain that the community relied on him. He had paid his dues, keeping the community alive, stealing and buying, legally and illegally, to equip the survival lab and the preparations for the eventual event that their spaceship ever saw the light of day again. But now, now he felt abandoned. The Supreme Commander had assured them that they would be picked up, but a lot could go wrong still. Linny dragged behind him and Herbert checked what was keeping her. She pulled her oversized nylon sports bag with her other hand. Woman, drop it! We need to hurry! And we need weapons! I have a good collection of my toys here to ensure our getaway, Linny panted from exertion. Herbert saw the logic of that argument and they shared the handles and hurried along the corridor. He opened the emergency exit door and slammed it open. A double cab pickup truck with Jay and Smitty waited with a running motor and an open back door. Linny and he jumped in. Go, 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 Herbert cried, and Jay took off like a rocket. Jay did not look good, bloody all over his face, as if a truck had run over him. Don't take the road, just drive over the lawn, across the golf course, from there. I live here too, Herb, I know the way, Jay calmed him put the car into four-wheel mode and ruined the lawns and greens. Herbert looked through the rear cab window just in time to witness half of their former workplace crumbling into debris and dust. Suddenly their car turned on the spot, its rear breaking away. Jay had to fight to keep it in control. A huge dust cloud raced into the desert. Jesus, they impulsed the building, Herbert shouted and he saw their spaceship slowly appearing like a black moon rising. They are hovering, Linny cried. Man, that's good. Damn it, that is good, Herbert breathed out, a huge load falling off his shoulders. Despite their own desperate situation, Herbert was happy that the community had arrived safe and sound on board. Not all of his mission had been a failure. Jay stopped their car briefly on one of the golf course's small artificial hills and made a 180 degrees power slide. They marveled for a moment at the majestic sight and with mixed feelings watching it take off with its incredible speed. Herbert put his hand on Jay's shoulder. They'll pick us up in a few minutes. Let's get to the rendezvous point safely. Take the back roads. Jay nodded and the car raced off. Then Herbert turned to Smitty and Linny. Guns out. No one's going to stop us. Shoot first, don't ask questions. Linny smiled. I love it when you talk dirty. Chapter 122 Charles No! Charles stood rooted to the spot. The loading hatch had closed just a few seconds before. The rectangle had vanished slowly into the impossible black of the object's hull, immediately invisible to the eye. Behind it, the office building collapsed and the dust cloud raced towards them. Leo emerged from it and they both stared at the hovering ship. No, please, no, Charles cried. Don't fly away. What have I done? Believing in a fat bastard and an alien cyborg technology? Charles was engulfed in the dust cloud and tried to outrun it. That's how those people fleeing from the collapsing 9-11 towers must have felt, 
covered in sued and concrete dust. Of course, the object did not listen to Charles and started moving. An incredible sight, a serene defect after all the shots and explosions. 2,500 metric tons slowly hovering out of the huge cradle that had been its nest for the last 24 hours, the metal beams creaking from a relief. No motor sound or exhaust, tin can overcame the law of gravity effortlessly. Leo muttered something about bombs while staring at the otherworldly side of the huge object floating weightlessly. What do you mean? Charles grabbed him by the shoulder. Eva's bombs are on board? Her plan worked? No, yes, 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 not Eva, Leo said, his thoughts clearly elsewhere. Eva? No or yes, Charles urged him. Talk, Leo. No, my plan, not hers. And yes, the explosives are on board, spy man. He glanced at his watch. Any second now, or never at all. Charles immediately took his phone to his ear. What the fuck do you want now? Why aren't the explosives going off? When? The president's shrill scream came over the phone. It was a scary sound. Your highest ranking leader in clear panic. It's moving. We see it on the satellite overhead. A spectacular sight. What did you say? The object, hovering. You should see it live. The bombs are on board, sir. The civilian, Leo, just confirmed it. The cyborg came through. Are you delirious, Norman? The screaming continued. What do you mean? You told us five minutes ago. The scream stopped. And Nuna Patel, the security advisor, came on the line. Norman, the president, lost his voice and is hyperventilating. You told us the bombs were on board two minutes ago. What do you mean by now? I lied, madam, Charles said, any pressure falling off him. Serene beyond any shame or worry about what life had in store for him. Whether it was a shooting squad in front of a wall or a tiny no-daylight cell in a maximum security prison, he still might die in the next few minutes, his molecules blasted apart by an alien weapon or an atomic bomb thrown by the very leader Charles had voted for two years ago. Together with 50,000 others, fathers, mothers, kids, soldiers. You what? You just engineered the biggest breakout of mankind. The aliens will escape. You doomed us all. We saved 50,000 lives today. That was my good deed of the day, madam. An endangered 8 billion. You are dead, Charles. Dead. I'll cut off your balls personally before... Ma'am, the bombs are on board. I believed in the team on the ground. Someone had to. There has to be hope. Always hope. Killing thousands of innocent people was not a solution. Charles ended the call, shut off the phone, and watched the spectacle in front of him. His job was done. Hi, Alex Ames here. Sorry for the little interruption, this story will continue momentarily. If you like a good thriller, check out my 2020 novel COVID Trouble. COVID Trouble is a novel in my ongoing troubleshooter series, featuring the corporate troubleshooter Paul Trouble. COVID Trouble takes place in Paris, France after the first lockdown of 2020, just when life seems to normalize again during the worldwide life-threatening pandemic and France is getting ready for some well-earned summer vacations. Someone is poisoning supermarkets with the virus. Is it a lunatic? Is it a terrorist act? Paul Trouble will find out. A lot of bullets will fly. There are car chases, gunfights, rooms full of dead people, deadly fire traps and many, many, many ways to die. COVID Trouble is available as ebook at most online retailers and as paperback at Amazon and some other retailers. Check it out, it's a ride. It's inspired by the current events of that crazy, crazy year 2020. COVID Trouble is the name, Alex Ames, the author. 
that being said by the book. And now let's jump back into the transport. Chapter 123 Sina The sight of the elevated object looked nothing short but majestic, all alien horrors aside. Sina could not fathom how such a heavy, inert piece of mass that had needed all of her army's maxed-out transport capacity could hover in the air without any noise or physical propulsion. She now stood about hundred yards from the object and sensed some sort of pressure on her eyes and lungs, maybe an effect of the gravity-overcoming mechanism that held the object in the air. Dust of the crumbling building wing still rose into the air and a final quietness came over the scene after the long and bitter battle of humans versus aliens. The object stayed immovable for a few moments. Charles finished his heated phone call with the president, almost had a serene face and slid the phone into a side pocket of his army pants. Super spy, are you all right? Sina called over. Never been better, he walked over to her. The battle was over. The opposition either killed or vanished. The moment the object had started moving, the shooting had stopped and no targets were in sight anymore. Had they lost? Everyone, still alive, raised their heads and watched with bewilderment the science fiction became reality sight. That is, Charles searched for words. Unworldly, I know, Sina whispered. We blew it, Charles. It will get away. What will be, will be, he glanced at her. Afraid? Instead of an answer, Sina took his right hand into her left. His grip was firm and warm as if to reassure her that they were humans and should stand together as one species. The physical contact felt good, gave her calm. Good to be alive despite her body hurting all over, despite the unknown ahead of them, despite all the deaths. She thought about Mac, Gorsuch, Bristol, and all the others who had died during the last few days. What was the purpose in all of this? She had no idea. Suddenly the pressure on Sina's eyes increased and her ears popped as the air pressure changed rapidly. And if the elevated spaceship had been marvelous, the sudden upward movement appeared even more spectacular. Again, without any exhaust or noise, the object shot upwards, ignoring inertia and physics of acceleration. It took a straight course into the air, gaining height at an incredible speed, growing smaller and smaller. It's getting away, Charles muttered beside her and shouted into the air. Motherfuckers! Yeah, right, Sina thought. That will stop them. After two seconds, the ship bore the star itself in the now dark blue morning sky. Chapter 124 The Sclones Community the second before takeoff. The Supreme Commander felt content for once. They had occurred minimal losses against formidable opposition. Except for Herbert's left behind crew, everyone was on board. The elders were still quibbling about the rude embarkation method, but at the same time expressed their relief that the ship had reached lift off stage. The crew had filled all positions regarding the ship control with enthusiasm, running through checks, plotting the next leg of the journey. Managing controls and the sensory inputs was not an easy feat as they had various crew members who had been born after they had been stranded on Earth. Many only knew the ship's navigation machine and sensory system from the tutorials and simulations. We are Earthborn, Supreme Commander, Steering communicated. We're only waiting for the life support readiness of the last part. Then we are good to go. 
What's outstanding? the Supreme Commander asked. The last four parts are in place but not yet connected, Life Support replied. We are working on it. Inform us when you are done, the Supreme Commander said. He was impatient, but he knew how important it was to connect everyone to the community before takeoff. The robots would not be able to continue mechanical work during liftoff and acceleration. All this communication happened within milliseconds, among the noise and cacophony of hundreds of sclones excitedly communicating. Like every sclone, the Supreme Commander could filter out important conversations from the unimportant jabbering. The species knew no private talk on the ship. Sclones developed an intuition about the mood of the community depending on the noise. As soon as many started complaining about nutrition balance, the life support team would make small adjustments until the comments died down again to an acceptable level. Some sclones would always complain. More noise than usual filled the channel with all the congratulations going on. So maybe it was harder for the rest to hear the relevant singular voices. At first, there was no sense in the single messages. What were they all about? A single voice complaining, no crying, no pain. Another one complained and shouted. And another. The first community members picked it up, chatter started up, asking what was going on. Then it became clear, the voices everyone perceived to be crying turned to be out shouts of panic. No, not panic, warnings. Life support, still interpreting it as a dissatisfaction topic and not a security issue, confused by the upcoming wave of desperation the community, continued as ordered. Life support took priority over comfort. Steering, get ready, we are down to four outstanding reconnected life pods. Three, the panic chant became louder with every count and it became clear that it originated from the last embarkmental transport batch, increasing the volume with every new connection. The artificial intelligence that categorized and sorted the community messages immediately spotted the cause and effect and notified the main functions of its finding. The Supreme Commander shouted into the community, Order! Order! New connectors! What is going on? Two. X. Repeat, please state what is going on. One. Order, order, we do not understand. Explosive. Bomb. One. Life pod connection complete. All secured. Life support concluded. Repeat, the Supreme Commander demanded. Bomb on board. Abort. Eject us. Eject us. Eject us. The joint panic shouts of the latest connectors screamed into the community channel. Steering take off, the Supreme Commander commanded, keeping its priority straight. Taking off, steering confirmed. The ship took off like a bullet. What about this bomb? The Supreme Commander inquired. Every sclone in the community network suddenly felt the fear of the commander through the sensors. Chapter 125 Leo A black speck up in the sky. The morning dawn had been already replaced by a bluish tint and the high-altitude object got hit by the morning rays of a sun still behind the horizon. Sina, Leo and Charles stared, swallowing to get rid of the ear pressure pop from the sudden liftoff. Rot in hell! Leo shouted after it. Maybe Eva's cocktail ignites when they are in deep space and they autopilot straight into eternity? Imagine when they arrive at the home planet, they open the door of that fucker and find everyone fried. With the best regards from planet Earth, Sina hoped. The speck did not become smaller. A trick of light? Leo squinted, a kingdom for sunglasses. Is it only me, or is this thing coming closer? Charles mirrored Leo's thought. I was too shy to ask, Leo said, shielding his eyes from the sun. Holy mother, it is coming down again. Look at that speed, that does not... Sina did not complete the sentence, as the object came down outside east of veracity, somewhere in the desert, 
It never seemed to break its fall with its fancy gliding mechanism. A mushroom of dust appeared on the horizon and Leo swore he could feel the earth vibrate under his feet. Yowza! Hope that hurts! Slimy fuckers! Leo cried into the morning and shook his fist. Charles made a loud whoopee and raised a hand. Sergeant Washington fell around his neck. Leo gave the crash cloud in the distance a final glance and then turned towards the remains of the destroyed building, still mostly shrouded in dust too. Back to more important things. Eva, I'm coming for you. Chapter 126 The Sclone's Community Abort! Eject us! We carry bombs! The repeated coherent message of the last connectors finally came through as one message to the community. Altitude one mile, declared navigation. The Supreme Commander immediately reacted. Emergency eject! Last 22 batches! Now, now, now! Bombs! Get rid! Don't want to die! Throw out! Eject! A sudden onslaught of communication snippets raced through the network, hundreds of sclones giving their opinion on how to deal with the crisis. An instant overload, a wave of panic, a shock wave. The two miles status from navigation was lost in the shuffle. The communication and decision to eject the last loaded batch came within another millisecond. But the ejection mechanics needed a few seconds to stop acceleration, run the live pod selection and unlock the pot holders. The robot arms unfolded again to pick the selected pods one by one, precious time slipping away while the ship's emergency ejection tubes started their opening sequence. Faster! Eject! No, no! Help! Faster! Faster! The community shouted in a shrill cacophony of panic, the first clones dying in their pods from fear and sensory imbalance. The measures took time. Time that Eva's crude trigger mechanism, made of layered latex, acid and hyper-explosives, did not give the clone community. While Eva had been holding off the Sclone team outside of the lab, Leo had realized that in case of discovery, the Sclones would suspect foul play. Of course, the slime slugs would search the pods in front of them. But would they search the ones still on the storage shelves? Leo Parker, gambling man. So he had arranged a quick Switcheroo, a sleight of hand, moving eight of the twelve explosive containers from the next to last to the last batch of pots that still had stood connected to life support on the shelf, while Eva had held off the converts. The remaining explosives containers Leo had put orderly into the supply shelves as if they belonged. And the ruse had worked. Herbert had checked the life pots on the card not the ones on the shelves. And the Sclone team had loaded the hot containers into the spaceship eventually. Eva's explosive fluid and the trigger chemicals finally connected after the acid punctuated latex rubber within one of the Sclone's life parts, setting off the intended chemical result. A deadly reaction delivering a never-before-seen intensity of chemical force. The explosion was nothing short of spectacular, though without witnesses. The super-hot impulse of the first detonating pod triggered the explosion of the other seven pods within a fraction of a second. The pods burst, each freeing the next quantity of explosives, a chemical chain reaction starting its deadly path of total and utter destruction. The blast had nowhere to go. The super-hard shell of the spacecraft ensured that. Nothing got in, nothing got out. Immense pressure built within the confined space of the hull, and the force was deflected off any surface it could find. Due to the nature of the spaceship's core material, not a single surface budged or deformed, 
100% of the blast energy returned in an even deadlier deflection, shredding any items not made of the super solid hull material. It ripped apart the ship's life support system and broke or melted any life part and its contents. Over 200 parts became victims of the direct blast, the single final scream echoing through the sensory communication system. The crowning of destruction got fueled by the remaining oxygen in the spaceship. The explosion ate the oxygen in one hungry swallow like a storm. Fire raced into every corner of the ship that was not hermetically sealed off. Any corner, any niche that it could possibly hold carbon atoms to feed the scorching hot flames. Many of the remaining parts immediately burst from the heat, spilling their contents into the fire. The few remaining parts burst open as the drop in pressure simply became too fast for the pot material to compensate. A rainstorm of glass, nutrition fluid and bursts clone biomatter filled the inside of the spaceship, all life seizing in a final, cruel blink of an eye, which in turn fed the firestorm frenzy one last time. The sclone population on board was reduced to dust. The fire died quickly after the killing spree. No unburned oxygen molecules to be found anymore, anywhere. The energy of the blast still reverberating inside the ship, finally slowing, losing momentum. Without the community mind and pilots on the job, the ship stopped working in a single moment. The energy distribution and flight controls reset to zero, and Earth's gravity got hold of the spaceship again. The ship's automated controls tried a damage assessment and found all of its master sensory input gone. Now the emergency artificial intelligence needed to decide whether to switch itself off or wait until someone came online again. The decision was to wait a minute until new data came in. The ship's acceleration decreased, though it continued to shoot up from pure momentum. It became slower and slower and finally reached a standstill at five miles above New Mexico. The object began its journey down, faster and faster, gravity accelerating it. The emergency controls kept the object upright its lower side automatically pointing to the ground to minimize impact effects. But the artificial intelligence decided not to switch on flight controls, simply because it was not necessary. The impact force with the planet was insignificant and caused no damage to the ship. After all, it was built to withhold much harder collisions. Why waste energy? And, as the sensors showed correctly, there was no life on board anyway. The free fall took about half a minute. The ship slammed into the desert ground, many miles outside of veracity, blasting rock and sand into the air, burying itself several yards into the soil, causing a massive shockwave in the upper crust, 2,500 unbreakable metric tons hitting the tender Earth's eggshell. The object was back on Earth. Chapter 127 Herbert Jay drove south, aiming for a farm road to leave town. Linny hummed the melody, craning her neck to keep an eye on the spaceship, now a star itself in the dark morning sky. They are coming back, she exclaimed. Already, Herbert thought, and they all saw a streak of black falling from the sky in the distance. Falling, falling, falling. A bit fast, don't you? Smitty said and stopped himself. A dust cloud mushroomed on the horizon. They could feel the car briefly vibrating from the impact. Jay lifted his foot off the gas. The starship, their starship, their ticket home, had hit the ground without any effort to break the fall. 
from the force of the impact, it was clear that something must have gone horribly wrong. No automatic safety control allowed the ship to land that hard, which, in turn, meant safety was off. The only condition that would turn the safety off was if the spaceship was unmanned. Leo and that wildcat lady, Eva, they had done something after all, tricked a bomb on board. The surviving converts sat in the idling car in the middle of the road as its four inhabitants let the fact sink in that there couldn't be any person alive on board of their ship. Something must have happened, something very ugly. The dust mushroom rose up in the distance, slowly dispersed by the light morning breeze. No one said a word. They wouldn't be leaving this planet any time soon. Their silence deepened. Oops, Linny said, blowing a shooing grum bubble and let it pop. One hundred twenty-eight, Leo. No one could survive this. No Newman, no green slug, and no alien killer robot from outer space. The invisible power fist that had crumbled his former workplace had left no stone upon another. So much rubble would squash any person. Leo climbed up the huge pile of bricks and beams, mortar dust in the air everywhere. If he didn't die of another bullet or explosion, he surely would die of lung cancer. He couldn't see more than ten feet ahead. Eva! he cried coarsely, his throat sore from the fumes and dust. Ludovic had come running and shouted a warning. Sir, the rest of the building might come down any time. The soldier tried to hold Leo back by the leg as he tried to climb up the next debris hill. Let me go! My girl is somewhere in there! Leo kicked himself free from the helping hand. Ludovic let go of him, and Leo stumbled on. A second later they lost contact in the dense dust. W-W-E-D, what would Eva do? Leo looked up and left and right. Apart from the bricks, rooftop paper and broken wooden beams, no interior pieces of the buildings could be seen. Eva had been on the roof when she had fired her rocket when those slimy slugs had destroyed the building with their alien weapon. There had been maybe one second between her shot and the invisible fist. One second on an empty roof, another second until the roof would have collapsed as the building was blown away under it. Come on, what would Eva do? Run towards the other side to get away from the building collapse? Try a crazy jump? With her extraordinary physique, she could survive a fall from five-story buildings? He glanced up the ripped-open remains of the old factory, desks and electrical equipment hanging out of the gaping holes on every floor where offices used to be, water flushing in long arcs from burst water pipes. Eva! Eva! He now stood on the top of the building material mountain, shouting up the remaining facade. I need to get in there. The staircase on the other end will be still accessible. Check the remaining roof. He started to run and slid on his ass down the next hill of rubble on the utilities building side, most of it covered by the wreckage. The rubble towered so high that Leo had no issues climbing onto the roof. Nothing up here, which made the jump theory less likely. Eva! He jumped stumbled and half fell along the edge of the utility building's roof and checked the surroundings. The dust was slowly dispersed by the early morning breeze and visibility was improving with every passing second, helped by the emerging morning light. When he came past the trash containers at the back of the utility building, he stopped in his tracks and peered down with a particular train of thought in mind. Eva, up on the roof her cyborg memory having the area layout stored, knowing every way out of every situation, seeing or feeling the building collapse, picking up speed, jumping, flying, landing, smack into the plastic bag, padded trash container, paper cups, trash bags, fast food containers, 
cushioning her fall. He let himself down from the roof carefully, jumped the last six feet and landed like a sack of wet rice beside the biggest of the containers that stood open. Oh, you will get into shape, Leo, should you ever survive this daily training regiment until you're running a marathon. Eva! He pulled himself up the side of the container, his feet found a hold, and with more gravity than elegance, his overweight pulled him into the container. Eva! Leo threw trash bags out, stumbled upon something solid further down. Doug, with his hands, saw the familiar sneakers, the black tight jeans, and then her leather jacket, and finally her black hair. Eva! Honey! Leo removed the last covering bag, ignoring the ripe stink and the rat that hurried up the wall after a startled jump. Honey, can you hear me? Eva! He gently patted her cheek and forehead, moving her hair out of the face. Her eyes opened, and Leo's heart took a double take. She was alive. He hugged and kissed her over and over. Are you hurt? Leo eventually asked. I mean, uh, damaged? Still in reboot? No reply. Just the open eyes that slowly blinked twice. Twice? That is a no, right? Blink at me once if it's no. She blinked three times. Leo cried, whoopee, and kissed her face all over. Later. Chapter 129. Herbert. He concentrated on the road, making sure to keep slightly above the speed limits, rolling north. Linny lay groggily sprawled on the reclined passenger seat and gave him a weak smile. Through his rearview mirror he checked on Smitty and Jay, both of them asleep on the back seat, red-faced. All three of his companions ran a serious fever. Their conversion injuries were too severe for self-healing and had turned into internal inflammations. But the first order of business was to get the hell out of Dodge. Then he would find a doctor. They had hid out for a few hours in a farmhouse about 30 miles west of Veracity, had taken the dead family's SUV and had gotten on the road in the late afternoon. The aim was to put as many miles as possible between them and the town. Albuquerque first, to find medical attention, as the next 24 hours would be crucial in the survival of the three. Herbert himself had received a soft conversion, done with surgical skills, not the crude occupation, through the rectum, as the others had. After medical attention it would be Phoenix, Las Vegas, or Los Angeles suburb getting lost in normality, acquire some good identities, people without family ties, live under the radar, follow the plan. Weapons filled the trunk and money was in the bank, thanks to various transfers of Legion Analytics cash values the day before. Herbert had regrets leaving the blanket behind. Too bad, a veritable weapon of good use. The humans would find it in the destroyed building, but no human would be able to figure out the use of Sklone technology, as the last 60 plus years of failed spaceship investigation had proven. But the last 60 years were no guarantee for the next 60 or 100, and the human species was a clever lot in the long run, even with occasional wrong turns or cul-de-sacs in technology, politics and social fabric. The only tense moment during their initial escape came when they approached a roadblock. To be expected, but Herbert had hoped that they would get lucky. Oh shoot, they are more prepared than anticipated, Herbert worried. He glanced at the car's odometer. They had passed the former hard shell zone of the blanket, so this had to be the official parameter watch. The army probably secured every road going in and out until the situation was resolved. Which would take time. The Legion situation offered a perfect cover. The authorities had to check each and every Legion employee. Good luck. With the management gone and the IT systems and HR records and the rubbles of a destroyed building. 
The humans knew no quick test yet to check someone's true identity, human or convert. But still, the confusion on the ground had not stopped the humans from doing some things right, like building roadblocks. We are good, just need a moment, Linny muttered. Rocket launcher? She was not joking. Luckily, a produced truck was in front of them, going through the check post first, giving them a few moments to check out their position. One soldier with a rifle in both hands securing the left, and a sheriff's black and white blocking the right lane with a deputy checking the truck driver's papers. Machine gun, nest, 50 yards to the right, about one o'clock, Smitty said from his back seat. Be careful, he's more attentive than his counterpart. Herbert could not see the gunner. The truck blocked his line of sight. That one is mine, Linny chimed happily. She had a small arsenal prepared under a blanket in the front section of her seats and retrieved the rocket launcher, hid it under a jacket as well as possible. Everyone lowered their windows, prepared for the inevitable. Hot desert air poured in. We hit them on the word license, Smitty whispered. The truck moved on, the deputy waving them closer. He gave them an initial sweeping glance, looked for danger, found none, and switched back into routine mode. Lady, gentlemen, traffic check, can I see some identification, please? Shoot, no keyword. What do we do? Herbert thought. The deputy looked astonished. Do you speak English? Licenses? Linny asked and in one smooth motion freed her rocket launcher and pointed it out of the window. Her three companions had waited for the deputy to utter the keyword, so it took them a second to process that Linny actually had initiated the attack. For Herbert, the killing came easier now than two days ago. He lifted his glock a few inches and shot the deputy into the face. The two soldiers were well-trained and alert, but at the same time the machine gun's trigger finger was about to give the return fire, Linny's rocket grenade hit his position, ripping apart body, weapons and cover. The second soldier turned his head in reaction to the explosion and was shot dead by Jay's bullet before he realized his mistake. The fight was over. Sklones three, human zero, Linny giggled. By now she was by far the most battle-loving convert among them. She jumped out of the car and collected the weapons of the soldiers, threw them into the back of the SUV, closed the door again. Thinking about it, she also collected the deputy's badge. Oh shit, my butt hurts, she said when she fell back in her passenger seat. And I'm bleeding. She felt her behind and her hand came back bloody. They drove on and caught up with the truck. Think he noticed the explosion? Smitty asked. We take no risk, Lenny decided, new bloodthirsty gleam in her eyes. Slow down when you pass. She lowered her side window again and picked a 500 Smith Wesson Magnum revolver from her armory. A humongous weapon worthy of Clint Eastwood, but ridiculously oversized in the hands of a petite woman. She cocked it and smiled at Herbert. Ready? This will be fun. Herbert didn't want to argue her choice of weapon, and he felt her to be a little unhinged by now. But there was no arguing with madness, and she was the best shooter of them. He waited until they had a longer straight stretch ahead and started to overtake the truck. He made sure that he kept a certain distance in case the truck driver had any hero ideas of running them off the road. They came alongside and it became clear that the truck driver was oblivious of what had, had transpired a few miles back at the checkpoint. He was singing along to some tune on a stereo. He noticed the car alongside, gave a lazy wave at the chubby petite lady. Linny gave him a wave back, then pointed the huge gun at him with two hands and fired. And missed. The recoil pulled the shot upwards, the bullet taking away part of the cab's roof. The force tore the gun out of Linny's small hands and it sailed inside the car, where it hit first Herbert on the shoulder and then landed in Jay's lap, luckily without going off. 
Everyone's ears rang. What the fuck? Lenny's arm heard as if someone had hit them with a baseball bat. The truck driver looked at them with panic in his eyes, fishing with one hand under his seat, probably searching for his own gun. Smitty quickly lifted his machine pistol and finished the driver off with a fully automatic burst until his gun clicked empty. Herbert accelerated to get clear. The truck continued to roll on cruise control and slowly steered off the road, rumbled over bushes and through desert potholes, and finally crashed into a large rock. Herbert watched through the rearview mirror as dust, pieces and boxes of produce flew in high arcs. The four converts drove on in silence. After two miles, Herbert gave Linny a quick look. Fun, huh? She pointed a tongue at him and massaged her hands. The sky turned blood red on their left, a tourist-worthy sunset in the New Mexico desert, a serene and peaceful sight. Chapter 130 Charles Charles watched Leo craning his neck, loudly humming the melody of New York, New York, starstruck. They waited for their turn in the security check, ready to enter the White House's inner sanctum. Leo wore an ill-fitting suit and looked generally interested in the architecture and decoration. At least I got myself a haircut this time, which had revealed my first grace. At thirty, Elder Norman, thanks to the slugs. Sina, on the other hand, was a cool customer, looking dashing in her black class A uniform, everything polished, spot and dustless, ramrod straight. Charles didn't know what to make of her still. She was an intelligent lady, kick-ass, brave as hell. She had lost a big part of her team, but had held up pretty well. He wondered if there was a dark place in her that processed the loss and violence. He observed her in an underlying nervous tension, betrayed by a constant mangling of a piece of chewing gum. I wonder where you will put that when we are meeting with the president. Lieutenant Morales also wore her class A, aided by a crutch that supported her injured leg. She looked her usual collected self, but Charles knew from regular phone calls that she feared for her career. It wasn't clear yet whether she would return to duty. The bullet had not only broken a shin bone, but also torn various ligaments. Three operations later and the healing success still hung in the balance. Every step hurt, but she was a tough lady. The only one missing was Eva, but the Secret Service had been clear about her. No way a killing robot from outer space got close to the president. Who knew what other mission parameters had been programmed into it? She waited in the hotel. Leo and she had found new jobs. Seattle, one of the big three companies. Charles suspected that they had been impressed with Eva's skill more than with Leo's, but he knew that they had made it clear that they only came as a package deal. The five of them had not met since the immediate aftermath of the tin can affair. And what a nightmarish aftermath it had been. Parts of a town destroyed by a rogue army transport, about 80 people declared dead, more bodies missing, a total military information lockdown that fed conspiracy theories for years to come. The ruling parties of Congress and Senate had lost their majorities during the midterm elections, rendering the president a lame duck already, two years before his term ended. When they had shaken hands in the hotel breakfast room, it had been an awkward situation. Four grown-ups and one cyborg, not able to discuss in public what they had shared. So they had stuck to generic updates on their jobs, basketball, and other banal things. The ghosts of green tentacle slugs and dead comrades around the table with them. 
Charles, are you daydreaming? Sina said and pushed him gently forward. It was his turn for the security check. Behind the security screening waited a young aide. Dr. Norman, Mr. Parker, Lieutenant Morales, Sergeant Washington, welcome to the White House. Follow me, please. They entered the very same bubble room where Charles had given his initial presidential briefing. When Leo entered, a security device in the doorframe rang out and red lights flew flashing. The staffer looked apologetic at Leo. You will need to leave any electronic devices in the lockers outside. Smartphones, laptop, electronic fitness tracker. Leo grumblingly complied. You really need to lock away your belongings? This is the White House who would steal from here. The staffer smiled. Things might grow legs, anyway, and the Secret Service is busy protecting the President and not your phone. America the Beautiful, Leo said. If my phone gets nicked, the first call I'll be making on my new phone is to the New York Times. The detector remained silent on the second time around. After a minute, the President and a very stern-looking man in an army officer's uniform entered. Everyone got up. Morales and Sina snapping to a salute. At ease, everyone, the president said. No need for formalities. Sergeant Washington and Lieutenant Morales might recognize General Stark. Completely bald and with a white face, Stark put four boxes on the table. Charles knew him too. Stark had been the bonehard commander of the war in Afghanistan post 9-11 while it was in its most dark and desperate phase. He wasn't even aware that Stark was still in the army. Handshakes all around, Charles felt his hand almost being crushed by Stark and watched the same handshake force happen between Stark and Washington. She held a poker face and tried briefly to hold against, failing. The president started up. Let's start with pleasant things. The United States would like to recognize your extraordinary engagement in the Tin Can Affair. The nation is in your debt. Your teams have been decorated in a separate informal ceremony. Stark handed the president the first small box and Leo got awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor the US could offer. Then Charles received the same. The fun moment was over when both needed to sign away the right to wear them in public and accepted the lock-away period of 50 years. Man, I hope I'm still around at 88. Leo beamed. Then Washington and Morales were awarded the Medal of Honor for a distinguished act of valor, followed again by a round of handshakes. Everyone finally got seated. The president looked at everyone once more. Thanks again for your efforts. This project could have been a fumble of epic proportions, but you saved the day. He pointed at Stark. I asked General Stark to be present in order to make some changes to Tin Can. Charles, I know that you had been the gatekeeper for the last years. I hereby relieve you of that responsibility. I understand the reason why my predecessors chose that approach, but I feel after the events we need to be more careful and better prepared. We have an ugly but formidable enemy, so General Stark has come out of retirement to take over Tin Can to oversee the next steps. Charles felt relieved and disappointed at the same time. Tin Can had been an exciting project, despite the disaster of the transport. But the president was right. An active opposition of aliens, able to take on a human shape, had changed the name of the game. Thank you, Mr. President. I understand fully. We will ask you to provide the team of General Stark with a full debriefing of Tin Can, the President continued. Don't hold back anything. Of course, Charles said. What else could he say? General Stark nodded at Charles. We might call you up as a consultant in the new setup. Do you know where to find me, sir? This might be necessary for all of you, by the way, the Chief of Staff threw in. Sina nodded. But Leo looked grumpy and suspicious. And to you, Mr. Parker, your girlfriend, General Stark made exclamation marks with his fingers. She will stay with you for now. It's the lesser of two evils. She's in your care, she seems to trust you, and we count on you to keep that machine under control. 
You have the remains of her mother to use as spare parts. Keep her happy. Keep below the radar. No prominent who wants to be a millionaire visit or spectacular patent applications or attempts to bolster up your personal finances in a casino. Charles had heard the story from Leo. Everyone had been afraid to approach the robot, which was literally light years ahead of anything conceived by humans, like an iPhone in the hands of ancient Egyptians. They might be able to capture or disable Eva to investigate her technology, but then they might not. And who knew what the robot killer lady was able to do when she was pissed off? Maybe she had an atomic bomb self-destruct inside of her. So the president himself had decided that Eva stayed with Leo until everyone had a better idea what to do with her. Or until her battery ran out. Whichever came first. Leo said nothing, just nodded. Sina asked, Permission to ask a question, sir. What happened to Tin Can after the Battle of Veracity? President gave a nodding approval to Stark to report. It crashed about 10 miles out of Veracity in the desert. The impact was very heavy, not unlike the initial crash in 1952. Again, earthquake detectors spiked all over the world and the ship dug itself 10 yards into the soil. We quickly built a tent around it and declared it to be a rare scientific excavation site. Not the best cover, but amazingly it had held up for the last few months. We will guard it heavily until the MMTU units are operational again and we have constructed a ramp to load it. But that might take a few more weeks. Do you have captured some slugs? Dead or alive? Leo asked. Now that is classified, Mr. Parker. General Stark gave him a cold stare. Leo, long past the military bullshit that had accompanied him during and after the endless previous debriefings, stared sullenly back. Luckily, further conflicts were avoided as the designated 30 minutes were up. Again handshakes and the presidents and Stark vanished. The four tin can adventurers were with the aide again. Leo opened his locker and retrieved his mobile phone, fitness tracker and watch. Will we ever meet again? Charles asked. Oh, you're missing us already, now that you are out of work? Leo asked. Oh, back to the French desk for me, Charles confirmed with a little smile. The new normal. Maybe when we transport Tin Can to the collider? Sina said. If they want to keep a low profile, they might ask the same team as before. The survivors, that is, Morales replied quietly. That sobered them up. Then they noticed that Leo didn't reply with one of his near-offensive one-liners. He stood in front of the locker, frozen, staring at his watch. Leo, what is it? Sina asked. Leo stared with panic on his face at his comrades in arms, his complexion ashen. I, I, he croaked. What? Seen an alien? Charles joked. Leo turned and showed them the face of his watch. Instead of the time, the display glowed with a lot. This is it. For real. It's over. The end of the book. I hope you enjoyed the podcast or the audiobook version as much as I did writing and producing it. Give me feedback. I always love to hear from my readers. There might be a sequel in the stars. Uh, project title is The Collider. And I guess you can guess where a large portion of the action will take place. Yes, in the endless tunnels of the Proton Collider that's going to open up good old Tin Can. The endless dark tunnels. What can happen in dark, endless tunnels? I believe terrible, terrible, terrible things are going to happen down there. The Collider is not scheduled yet, but I can promise you a lot of fun, a lot of aliens and a lot, a whole lot, a bucket full of blood lot violence and mayhem. Once again, if you want to support me and my works, buy my books, you can see what I wrote 
this far by going to www.alexames.net. My works are available, well, everywhere where there are books. If not, give me a line. Most of my social accounts are called Alex Ames Writing. Thanks again. This is Alex Ames. This was The Transport. Over and out. <laughs>